Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Broadcaster Hour. Roger Hoover, great to be with you once again from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Back from his home in New Jersey, we've got Kyle Crooks. And today, we're pleased to be joined by Kevin Harlan of CBS, TNT, as well as Westwood One. Kevin, it's great to have you on the show. How's everything going today? Roger, Kyle, great to be on. Thanks for having me. It's great. We're enjoying our time up. I'm in a, a little area called Door County, Wisconsin, which is about 80 miles north of Green Bay on a peninsula that sticks out in Lake Michigan. And uh, we spend our summers here, raised our kids here in the summer. And, and, uh, and so we, uh, my wife and I now, although empty nesters, have a couple grandchildren that come and visit us. So uh, this has become our home away from home. So Kevin, what is, you mentioned you're, you're obviously a, a home away from home right now, but does it feel weird to, to not have any games after this long sprint that you always have? You're, you're, you know, double duty on football, and then you got the NBA on TNT, and then you got the playoffs. Do you, how, do you, how do you feel when you finally get this time to, to unwind? You know, Kyle, I, uh, I, I cherish it uh, for a variety of reasons. I don't have to leave uh, my family, my wife in particular, and go and get, get on an airplane, which I uh, always, always, uh, while not dreading it, it's, it's, it's the, probably the worst part of my job, quite frankly. I, uh, I, I enjoyed the games when the ball's tossed up or the kickoff is underway and we started a broadcast, but the other parts of uh, certainly during COVID have become a little bit more difficult to manage, but, but, uh, but, but leaving home is always tough. So um, being home like this. And the other thing that I have found is that just to, to kind of break away from the every day, every minute, uh, as you two know, you know, being in the business, you almost can't take your eye off your phone because of announcements, trades, acquisitions, whatever it might be. And, you know, the world of sports is changing so frequently in so many moving parts that to have a time in the summer where I do nothing, I, I, I should take that back. I do the 2K NBA video game taping in the summer in our uh, closet up here in the cottage. But aside from that, I... I don't watch a lot of sports. I didn't watch much of the NBA finals. I've not watched much of the Olympics. I don't watch a lot of baseball. Uh, just this morning, in fact, I turned on NFL Network to start watching the opening of NFL camps because I'll start with some preseason broadcasts for the Green Bay Packers here in mid-August. So, um, so the time that I get off, uh, I, I have always felt makes me fresher, uh, more mentally vibrant, and, and ready for the long uh, uh, seasons ahead in both the NFL and in, in the NBA. And, and Kevin, how challenging are those preseason games of all the assignments? Because the depth charts are so deep and you have to know so many human interest stories of the guy that's on the brink of making a roster. I feel like those are the most challenging broadcasts. You can go to an NFL CBS regular season game and everybody knows the storylines. You have the set rosters, but the preseason games, there's, there's just so many things that are juggling in the air that you have to present to the audience. Yeah, you bring up an outstanding point, Kyle. The, the preseason games are difficult. However, we really only have to prepare uh, in depth for one team because every NFL team has their own broadcast TV crew. And so there are 32 different uh, broadcast teams, but they're all really broadcasting to their particular uh, fan base. So uh, the Packers, as it turns out, has one of the biggest uh, TV preseason networks in the country. They've got stations that carry our preseason games in Alaska and in Honolulu and in five states in the Midwest. 
but the Vikings have their own and the Cardinals have their own in Arizona and the Panthers and on and on and on. So, so we're all really kind of focused in on, on the team that we're covering. Certainly we got to know about the other team they're playing. And a lot of it is kind of mechanical, just spotting who's in a quarterback, because as you two know, in the preseason, um, you're, you're dealing with a lot of different in and out type of situations, sub packages, substitutions. So staying on top of that is almost as important as knowing some of the storylines. And then, and then, you know, for the last couple of weeks or so, I've begun to kind of look at some of my old broadcasts and go over some of my notes and how I graded myself per game last year and, uh, and start reading up on a lot of the Packers stories from the off season. Uh, not the least of which is the return of Aaron Rodgers, which will be a main theme for our broadcasts, I'm sure, for the Packer Television Network. Uh, but it, it actually serves as an outstanding ramp up to the regular season for CBS and getting ready for the games that are national in scope. And, uh, and so this kind of gets me up to speed, get my rhythm back, which I really like. Of course, right now we're all talking remotely from three different states. And uh, over this past year, as we've been dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, remote broadcasting has been just a reality for everybody in the business in some way or form. How did you adjust to calling games remotely? And just overall, what has this experience been like trying to broadcast sports during the pandemic? You know, the NFL stayed the same. We traveled to those press boxes, Roger, and we, we did the games and we just had no fans and no atmosphere. Um, but I did every game remotely through the Super Bowl. So, so that, that stayed uh, pretty consistent, which was tremendous. But you felt empty because there was no uh, orchestra. There was no, you know, emotional, passionate uh, background, which is so important for the broadcast, I think, and certainly for the players. The NBA, I did, we live in Kansas City, and the folks at Turner Broadcasting actually set up a a little studio in our basement and uh, which took them about a week to set up and did games that way. But, but the latency, the delay between when I would see the play in my basement and when you or Kyle may see the play in Alabama or out East was, was about a, a two to three second delay. So I could say, uh, you know, uh, here's a made basket outside, you know, and, and, They'd have seen the play and they were going back on defense, but I was just seeing it. And so people would comment constantly. They say, why are you so behind? Like, like you are getting old. And I don't doubt that I am, but it was because technically we did not have the, the ability to see it in real time. And for whatever reason, people at home saw it before we did. So anyway, it was delayed and, and we had home internet so that, you know, it adds to the, you know, the, 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 the slowness of the whole process. But that's what, that's what I did. Uh, Brian Anderson did the same thing from his home. But uh, Marv, Albert, and anybody, Spirodides, Ian, they all did it from a studio. Um, but we did it from home. And I think the, I think the delay was noticeable. Um, now, in the playoffs, um, you know, we kind of thought maybe we'd get back. As it turned out, they flew us all to the studios in Atlanta which cut that delay a little bit, but there was still some, and we still were not in a, you know, an emotional arena, which again, we feed off it. The, the thing that I noticed the most, and I guess I picked this up during the NCAA tournament, is, is I guess I'm play-by-play uh, -play guys are pretty quick twitch. They can kind of see a play develop before it actually develops. They can see a guy 
kind of circling on the wing. When you're watching on television, you don't have that depth reception, that feel, that anticipation that is so important for a play-by-play announcer. And, and, you know, when you're courtside or even in a building and in the tournament, we were up about 10, 15 rows, but you can still get a feel for positioning and, and, you know, a couple steps ahead of the play, a guy getting in, in a spot that he had to get in. Um, you miss that on, on TV. You, you don't, you don't notice that you're really just kind of concentrating on the ball and who's got it and kind of what's going on with that. So I, uh, I, I'm anxious. And, you know, of course, we all know the, the country now is in kind of an interesting in-between phase. And my hope is, is we all do get back and enjoy games in full packed stadiums and arenas. But we really don't know until the season arrives and uh, games are upon us. But my hope is I'm back and we can call games in person, which I think will, will, will add so much more to the broadcast, sir. So those are the latest broadcasts that you've done uh, looking at the NBA playoffs and like we mentioned, the NFL season as well. But I want to go back to the very beginning for you. What was the spark to try and get into sportscasting for you? Uh, probably my, my uh, upbringing. My dad was in pro football for 37 years with the Green Bay Packers. And before that, he was with the St. Louis Cardinals, baseball Cardinals. And um, so I had a chance as a kid to be in clubhouses and in locker rooms and on uh, you know, on the on-deck circle and in dugouts and on the sidelines and the press boxes. And when you've, when you've grown up like that, uh, you know, Roger, it really, it, 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 it can't help but affect you. And, and clearly I had an advantage because I knew what that world was like. And though I, I knew I couldn't athletically be there, um, saw great broadcasters and writers and people that were associated with those games and saw what they did. And I just thought being in a press box on a Sunday morning in the NFL was just terrific. And then found when I went to college, being in a college uh, football press box on a Saturday morning before a big Saturday afternoon game, uh, there's no place like it. And so that really is what sold me. Um, people always asked, well, were you a, I was a sports fan for sure. Um, and love football and love basketball and love baseball until we moved to Green Bay when I was about 10. But people always say, you know, what was there a moment that you can recall or a game or a player or anything like that? And, and, and truthfully, it was a voice that I heard. And it was the voice of the late John Facenda from NFL Films as he narrated Super Bowl one between Kansas City Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers. And um, I was probably about eight years old, but I remember the voice and that's what stuck with me. And really everything kind of began from that point on. Now I thought maybe at one time I wanted to be an airline pilot and one time maybe be a writer, but, but really what, what it was, was I probably knew even at that early age that I wanted to be in broadcasting. And so when I was like 10 and 11 years old, uh, like a lot of us that are in broadcasting would I turn on my radio and listen to faraway broadcasts from KMOX in St. Louis or WJR in Detroit or, or WHAS in Louisville or wherever, uh, hearing uh, broadcasts of college and pro games. And, and just was, uh, I was romanticized by these voices calling these games and by radio in particular. And as it turned out, I went to a high school in Green Bay, an all-boys Catholic school, and they happened to have 
a radio station run by the students. So when I was 14, I got on the air. But when I was before that, I do games off TV in my bedroom when I was 11 and 12 years old. And, and so I really uh, got the bug early on. And, and I just, I've loved it. My, my dad always said, uh, as, as many fathers have said to sons and daughters, um, if you can find a job that you love, you've never worked. Uh, you've, you've, you, you've found something that, that you'll work to get better at because you love it. It'll never seem like work. It'll just almost seem like a hobby. And that's kind of how broadcasting has seemed to me. Uh, even with all the travel and, and, and a heavy workload, it has always to me seemed like, a, like, like, like fun as opposed to getting paid and actually calling it work. Um, so uh, very, very blessed and lucky that I found a job that, that, that I was interested in and that I love to this day. Of course, you've called so much football, so much basketball, but I'm curious about your baseball, especially growing up around the Cardinals. Have you done much baseball broadcasting? Is that something that maybe is still on your broadcasting bucket list to get back to some baseball? Probably not. I, uh, I had a chance a couple summers ago, the Boston Red Sox, I had done so many Patriots Super Bowls um, that people in New England had kind of gotten familiar with my voice, a lot of Brady AFC championship games. And so uh, there was a summer a couple years ago when they were bringing in a guest play-by-play guy for a series of their choosing in between hires. They had a, a steady voice. I think somebody had retired. And so they brought in Chris Berman and they brought in um, a, a, a variety of, of network people. And at the Super Bowl that year that the, that the Patriots were playing a couple of years ago, they said, we would love to have you come in and, do a series in Fenway, in Kansas City, in Milwaukee, you know, whatever is geographically set. And I thought about it because if there's any, any team I'd love to do, it'd be the Red Sox and in that ballpark in Fenway Park. But I knew that if I did that, that I'd have to prepare at least a month out. I'm not into the day-to-day baseball world. And um, so I had to respectfully decline, but it killed me when I did, because I knew that chance would probably never come up again. But the voices that I heard growing up um, were old baseball broadcasters like Bob Prince in Pittsburgh and Jack Buck in St. Louis and, and, um, and, and Ernie Harwell in Detroit, living in the Midwest and in the Great Lakes areas we did. I heard those guys during the summers. And when my dad was actually with the baseball Cardinals, he would take me after church on Sundays. That was my day to go to the game. And we'd go to church, and we'd drive down to Bush Stadium. And I used to roam around while he would get the, the notes ready for the, for the, for the game, the, 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 the media release for the Cardinals game that afternoon. And I used to roam all over the stadium. But I remember having breakfast in the press box every Sunday morning, and here would come Vin Scully walking in. Here would come Jack Buck walking in. And, and to me – I really didn't know who they were, but in time, looking back, I was just like, oh, can you believe I was a little kid and these giants in the business would walk in? And then I actually would get to sit when I was roaming around, and again, didn't think much of it, uh, sit in the back of the Camo X booth when Harry Carey and Jack Buck were doing Cardinal games on Sunday afternoon on Camo X. And I'd sit back there with the Coke in the back of the booth on a chair, and they'd be in their, in their shorts and sometimes t-shirts on those hot St. Louis summers doing the Cardinals games. 
And I'd watch when I was like seven, eight, nine years old. But I, and then I'd leave and then I'd walk out the left field and go out and sit in the relief in the bullpen with the relief pitchers. Like, like back then you could do anything. And I did. Um, so, uh, but, but no, I had a chance to join the Cardinals uh, when I was doing the University of Missouri back in the, in the late 80s. And I remember my dad who got out of baseball uh, because he was gone so much saying it's a hard life on a family. And, and so I, I didn't pursue it. But ironically enough, had a chance to go to the Cardinals with Jack Buck and Mike Shannon on KMOX back about 1988, 89, and, uh, and thought about it. And my wife and I decided that probably wasn't the right move for our family, but was flattered and felt, you know, at least, at least I had the chance to say, you know, that, that I, I was offered a job in that, in that realm. And Kevin, moving ahead in, in your career and as a young guy, being an, a radio voice in the NFL for the Kansas City Chiefs, and, and we had Brad Nessler on a couple weeks ago, and you guys were the two young bucks in the NFL when he was with the Falcons and you were with the Chiefs. And he said a lot of guys are giving you the side eye, like, who are these young guys taking over the booth? What do you remember about those years? Well, I've got a picture in my office back in Kansas City of me and Brad at the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, and he was doing – I guess the Vikings at the time, maybe the Falcons, I forget. And um, I think the Vikings, we were playing a preseason game against them. I was doing the Chiefs. And, and I got the Chiefs job when I was 25. And I think he was about 28, 29. He's about four years older than I am, five years older than I am. And we were, we were two guys in our 20s doing pro football. And there, and I could, and at that time, gosh, Bob Martin in Denver, Bob Starr doing the Rams. I mean, I could go on Marty Glickman was doing the Jets. Uh, Neb Chandler was doing the Cleveland Browns. Um, uh, Jack Fleming was doing the Steelers. Like I go on and on. Ron Franklin was doing the Houston Oilers. Um, I, like I go on and on with all these, all these big veteran voices. And here, here we are, you know, me and Brad. And, and we've had, a, a, and, then, and then we both went to ESPN. He stayed much longer than I did because I went to Fox. But, but uh, we were at ESPN together for a couple of years. And he stayed, and then I went on to Fox with the NFL package. And um, so our careers have been very – and we've been lifelong friends, and, and, uh, and I, I consider him uh, a person I look up to on, on every level, as a person, as a mentor, as a friend, as a broadcaster, on every level. Uh, but right, yeah, Brad, <laughs> uh, we've had a lot of laughs about where we were at one time, and now that our careers are kind of in the fourth quarter, um, uh, we have a lot of laughs and – fond memories of where it began and uh, how lucky both of us have both feel that we've been to, to be in the business and be in the different positions we've been in. And for you, how did it come about making that turn to network television? A lot of people know, and, and we're radio junkies, me and Rogers. So we listen to you every night on Monday night and we, we take notes just like a lot of young broadcasters, but a lot of people know Kevin Harlan from network TV, NBA on TNT, NFL on CBS. How did that jump from radio to TV go for you? And, and just what, what went into you becoming a network broadcaster? And, and I'll add this to the end of it. What's been the key to the longevity of it all for you in such a subjective business? Well, uh, Kyle, I, radio was, I fell in love with radio. I, I, was, I, was, I, I always felt that if I could be the voice of a major college or team and do football and basketball, that I will have lived my dream and just maintaining it and staying at that level and evolving would, would, would definitely be enough. And I, I, I believe that. I was at one time doing Chiefs on radio and Missouri football and basketball, and I was as happy as could be. Um, but um, as things happen in this business, 
the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, were coming to an existence in 1989. And there was a guy from Kansas City that was selected to be their director of marketing, public relations, who was driving on a Sunday afternoon when Missouri was in the NCAA tournament. I was doing the radio broadcast and um, he listened to the broadcast, called me the next day. Missouri, ironically enough, was going to Minneapolis for the Sweet 16, asked if we could get together for lunch. And I thought nothing of it. And they began to pursue me to do uh, the radio and TV in the NBA. Now, I had done that when I was right out of college with the Kansas City Kings. But radio was my first love and to this day is my first love. And we can talk a bit about radio. We'll get in the weeds a little bit because if you two like it, then I, I'm on the right podcast, right to Zoom to, to visit with you two about, about radio because I love everything about it. And, um, and to this day, it's number one. But um, so they offered me the, the, the job. And this is prior to my work at NBC, prior to ESPN. So at the time, I think, who should I call to get advice? Because I was at the time 28 and loved my job and, and didn't want to leave. And so I called Bob Costas and I called Marv, Marv Albert. And I remember the, the, the conversation with Costas uh, describing what had been presented to me last all about 20 seconds until he butted in and says, take the job. The business is going toward television. You're a young guy. This is the way it's going. You've got to get into TV. And I called and talked to Marv. And Marv said basically the same thing. He said, television is where it's at. I know you love radio as much as I do, but TV is where you've got to go. So I did. And of course, the rest is history because by accepting that job, I did a couple filling games for NBC on the NBA. I got the ESPN uh, uh, 12 o'clock noon game uh, for a couple of years, which then led to the Fox hiring when they got the NFL rights, which led to CBS, which led to Turner. I, I did not think about television at all. Radio was my love. And, and I had trouble at each step leaving because I was still doing some radio. When I was doing the Timberwolves, I was still doing the Kansas City Chiefs and still did 60 plus radio games for the Timberwolves. But when you go to the network TV level, um, the demands are a little different and, and the radio, it just didn't fit. That's why the Monday night broadcast became uh, like this cherished thing to my heart that, that I love so much. Um, longevity, I'm so glad you mentioned that. You know, people sometimes, great broadcasters, and just the other day I talked with Dick Stockton for a long time, uh, who was never a number one broadcaster uh, in the majority of his career at CBS he was the NBA on CBS number one guy until NBC got it. So it was just for a couple of years. But he said, you know, uh, and Vern Lundquist was the same thing until he became the SEC number one voice on CBS. But those guys had been, for the majority of their career, the two and the three broadcaster wherever they were. And, our, and, and talking with Stockton, as I have over the years, talked about what people minimize in our business is getting a network job and then holding on to it you know, which is a hard thing to do. He said, all you have to do is look back at the roster of people at CBS and at Turner and, and at these different networks five, 10, 15 years ago, and look at the change. Look at the role. Well, I, I began at Turner in 1996, and I was lucky enough to begin at, at CBS in 1998. And uh, this is my 13th year with Monday Night Football, and I'm zeroing in on my 12th consecutive Super Bowl. So longevity uh, to me, 
is, is such an underrated part of the business and a hard thing to do. So when I talk to young broadcasters, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say maintenance, evolving and coming better, knowing what the landscape of your business is and the competition that you face. I said, I said we can all learn something. I'm in the middle of a book right now uh, about Bill Belichick, which was written a couple of years ago. I find Belichick fascinating on, on many levels. He's like Nick Saban, attention to detail, never satisfied, always evolving, always talking to other coaches, trying to get other points of view on things, never sitting on whatever they, never resting on their laurels, never sitting on what they know, always wanting to expand and get better and evolve. And a broadcaster is like that. And I do think you asked before, Kyle, about you know what has led to longevity. I would like to say my love of the business has led to um, trying to improve, uh, harshly grade my broadcasts, get better, um, certainly listen to the younger broadcasters and know what they're doing and what people like and the number one guys and number two guys, what people, you know, talk about and, and, and just trying to get better. And, and, and so, but, but being at a network and holding on to a job and doing it for decades to me is probably uh, one of the greatest satisfactions I have in this business. Um, that and, and being able to uh, still have the kind of family life that I do. Those, those two things probably matter to me most uh, and in no particular order. Um, being able to maintain uh, the network level and being able to have a, a family life that is as rich and as rewarding as anyone could want. Well, we will definitely get into the weeds about radio in just a moment, but I would for a moment like to talk about, you know, television and knowing that you have all of those tools in your toolbox to paint the picture like you do on radio, but learning how to economize your words and also just be a great teammate with your analyst, producer, director. How important is that to you? And I'm sure that's led to a lot of longevity as well in network television for you. You know, Roger, it, it's uh, it, it's your uh, the TV play-by-play guy, I have always said, is fourth in importance. The picture is number one, and nothing will ever supersede that. Then the analyst, because he adds the why things are happening and, and or why they're not, um, and then and then the replays and the, the 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 graphics and the bells and whistles that make TV, you know, the eye candy that we all enjoy, and then the play-by-play guy. But if the play-by-play guy screws up, he quickly vaults to number one. Go, that guy is terrible. Or you know, you hear the criticism there, and there's a lot riding. So. You've got to take your ego and say, I know the importance of my job, but I know that I cannot be first and I really can't be second and third. I've, I got to know my, my order. Um, and, and by studying the greats uh, in the business, the Al Michaels, the Bob Costases, you know, and, and watching how they paraphrase the economy of words. I go back to Ray Scott and Pat Summerall, well, Will, in the off season, Watch a couple of YouTubes of those broadcasters because, you know, they, they are recognized as, as two of the greatest voices in football history and just how they would paint the picture with an economy of words and accenting and, set, and, and letting it breathe. And so all these are skills, much like in radio, the skills of the right words and reporting, which you said we'll talk about in a second. But, but I, I enjoy the challenge of each. It's interesting that they are – one day apart when I have to do them on a Sunday television for CBS and the next day, Monday night football uh, on CBS radio West, uh, Westwood one. So, 
So that becomes a very interesting, you know, clicking of gears in my very uh, small IQ in trying to make sure that I have now zeroed in on that landing path that I, I clearly have my compass pointed in the right direction in terms of, well, all right, now it's time to relax. So after a TV game on CBS, as I'm going to the airport, flying to my Monday night game on that Sunday night, I purposely don't do anything. Like there's like two, three hours after a game where first of all, your mind is mush anyway, but, but I kind of like, like to flush it all away. And if someone on a flight, if I'm making a connection, which I usually have to on a Sunday night to get to my Monday night game, Yes, where were you today? What, what game did you do? And I have to literally have to sit and th- um, um, <laughs> I was in uh, Philadelphia. <laughs> I did the uh, uh, they played the Ravens and I did the Eagles and the Ravens. And and uh, but but that's kind of the process that I go through. And then when I get on that that connecting flight on Sunday night, now I've you know I'm going over my notes and listening to my last broadcast again, uh, finishing the grading. And, and doing those kinds of things and then shifting my mind to radio as opposed to TV. I do think this. I think being a television announcer helps me on radio. And I think being a radio play-by-play guy helps me on TV. So they and, and, and it may not be that way for everyone, but for me, they've been incredibly uh, synchronized. And I, I didn't expect that, but I have found that and I'm very grateful for it. Now on the show, we'll make that transition. We'll go from Sunday television to Monday night radio. When you sit down, you're about to call a game on Westwood One. What do you love? What's most important to you when you're calling a football game on radio? Well, I love, to me, radio play-by-play is the purest form of broadcasting because it's about voice and delivery. It's about pacing. It's about the words you use and how quickly you can come up with the right word to describe what has happened. It's being the consummate reporter, uh, which involves a variety of different things. Score and time, quick one sentence about what's going on in the game. People and cars are there for 10 or 15 minutes. They want a couple headlines. They want the score and time continually. But they want to feel if they do get in the car and they're watching the game and they're going to pick up their daughter or son at practice or at school or whatever, that they've not missed anything. So for me, I feel like I've, I've, I've accomplished my job if that person who has been watching now goes in the car and, and my words rekindle every, see, I think when you watch on TV, like you don't think about, Oh, they've got green jerseys on or Oh, look at, he made a one-handed catch or Oh, look at, he, he caught that ball, you know, uh, helmet high or, or anything like that. But that's the skill of a radio play by play person to, to, to quickly come up with that in a, in a rhythmic way, which makes sense and is not too fast, but has a cohesion to it and, and, and a, a, a pleasant sounding voice where you know where the ball is, who's got it, what they're doing, what kind of move they've made, where they've caught the ball, like all these things. And while it's never perfect, you know, because you're talking about weather and you're talking about what a coach might be doing on a sideline or a juke or a fake or a catch or whatever that a player has done, to me, um, that, that on TV, if I can't find the right words, I don't say anything. I let the picture speak for itself. Oh, what a move to the 35, and he's got the first down. Whereas on radio, it's a helmet eye catch as he spins around and grabs the ball and tucks it under, takes a hit, spins off a defender on the numbers of the 35, angles to the sideline with a dive, and the ball is, you know, like you can paint so many great things, and that's hard to do. 
that is that 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 is a challenge. And there are so many that for them maybe it isn't a challenge. And I could rattle off name after name, and they just do it seamlessly. And I sit and go, "How can he sound so good?" And and just not. Whereas I feel like games, I'm just going. I'm I'm searching for words. I'm trying to find the right word. But that challenge is what I love about. And, and it reminds me when I take off my headset every Monday night why I love radio so much. It's exhausting when I do a TV game. I'm exhausted. Uh, to a point where we go, boy, that was, whew. When I do radio, I am mentally drained. I am physically drained. And, and I'll know if my voice had the right timber and if my words were on, did I report the way I should? Did I capture the storylines? Did I, did I continue to have those storylines reemerge the right way in the broadcast? See, on TV, I've got a producer and director and, and a bunch of people in the back of the booth. Hey, let's, let's hit that storyline again. In radio, it's all you. You're a one-man band. So that's why I love radio. That's a long answer and, a, and probably one that for a lot of people going, okay, we get it, we get it. But I am passionate about radio, and I love radio, and I love the challenge of, of doing it uh, as best as I can on Mondays and then and, uh, through the playoffs and the Super Bowl. Roger, you have to clip off. We got some Harlan play-by-play there on the podcast. I think that is the top moment in the history of this podcast. But in terms of getting real specific on play-by-play, do you have a formula when the quarterback takes a snap, it's belt tie, then describe the drop, and utilizing hash marks and numbers, and don't just say right side, right flat, right numbers, outside the numbers. Do you, is it like formulaic in your mind as soon as the quarterback you know, rips the ball out, you describe that, cocks the arm and makes a twisting catch on the numbers? It's just... Over ye- over years and, and just the amount of games you've done, right? It's just, it just, it comes pretty easily at this point. Yeah, I, I don't know if it comes easily, but there is a muscle memory there. So Kyle, I, I definitely, I mean, you clearly are a person that, that likes, loves radio and knows, it. I, I think it's an art myself. And I listen to some people and I just think, you know, I like, I listen to Shulman do radio baseball, you know, it's just, to me, it, it's art and, and, and I, I just, I think he's got the best voice in broadcasting. Um, I think he's, um, uh, he's smart. He's, I just, I just, that's why I tell young broadcasters to go listen to Dan Schulman and listen to his voice and delivery, uh, regardless of sport. I just think his is the best. Um, but, but I know what I go through and no, there, it's not, there's not a formula, but there is, you know, you know, the old saying about the 10,000 hours to perfect something, um, you know, it takes 10,000 hours of doing something over and over and over and over again uh, to kind of create that mental muscle memory. I watch Peyton Manning and Friday practices throw passes to uh, Marvin Harrison on corner routes in the end zone 40, 50 times in a row. And I go, why would, like, why would they do that? And then all I do have to do is look at the numbers and, and look at what they did. And, and it's a simple play, but it was a play they perfected. And so there are so many ways to take a look at the different things that you can do uh, with the play. And, and I listen, when I listen back, if I said belt high every time, even though the snap is belt high every time, but see, when you're watching on TV, it usually is a belt high or, or a waist high snap. But sometimes there are those knee high snaps, or there's a shoulder high snap, or there's a snap to the right hip or the left hip. And so um, I, I call what I see. And if I call waist high or hip high or, or belt high snap, that, that's what I'm seeing. 
And if it's a two-handed catch in front of his helmet or in front of his numbers, or he cramps the ball against his chest and makes a catch with his body, I want to say that. Now, it may be a little repetitive, but we, and we may see four or five of those in a row. But the point is, that's what kind of catch it was, which makes the over-the-shoulder looking into the light catch even stand out more and maybe gives you a little bit more vitality in your voice and your delivery. So um, the, the challenge is, I, I, I tell the story, people just, it, it's, it's, here's what radio play-by-play -play is like when you come up with the gem of a, of a, first of all, at the top of my boards, I put any play, every play, because any play could be the play and every play matters. And I equate it to the, to the, uh, a sign that I saw inside the San Antonio Spurs locker room. And it's a very short story about a stone cutter who is trying to, to, to break in half this big boulder that has fallen in the middle of the road. And cows and carts and people cannot get by because this boulder has rolled down this hill and is in the middle of the road. So they got the stone cutter, and his job is to cut that boulder in half. And he hammers, and he hammers. He's got the chisel, and he's got the hammer. And he hammers away, and hammers away, and hammers away. And he does it 100 times. He does it 200 times. Three, four, five. On the 600th hammer, it finally breaks in half. And the townspeople say, oh, my God, that 600th hit must have been amazing. Goes, ah, it was the 599 hits that made the 600 happen. So that's radio play-by-play. -play. There are so many plays in a game. You've got to treat any play and every play like it may be the play. I'm not talking in terms of excitement. I'm talking in terms of mental focus and don't get casual with the call. Don't let your voice tail off. Don't let it get soft. Don't let your mind waver. Make sure you call it, have the discipline to call it. So, so it, it, it may not be the 10th play of a game. It may not be the 50th play of the game, but it may be play number 103 of the game. And it may be on a fumble recovery. And by God, if you've, you know, been delinquent uh, or derelict in what you've done in the previous 102 plays, that 103rd play of that game, the most important play, the game, you know, turning play may not have what you needed to have to stand out and be the play of the game. So I look at every play like that. Like I'm not talking in terms of volume and voice. I'm just talking in terms of attention to detail. Make sure that you've, that you've, you've hit all the things you need to do to make that play sound great. Even if it's a two yard game, explain what happened. He went over the right guard. He put his helmet down. He had to twist a little bit and in fact, backpedal and ride a body as he got that extra yard and he's outside the hash mark to the 37. It's second down and eight. You know, that's what happened. That's what you saw. And, and to me, that's, that's what makes radio come alive. And, and the TV perspective, and, and we've asked Joe Davis about this, and, and he said we kind of think too much about laying out and not captioning the picture as play-by-play -play guys and gals because we feel like we're going to over-talk. But I feel like there, there also has to be some sort of – there has to be a, an ability to punctuate a highlight on TV and, and still caption the picture in a way where it's not quite radio, right? But it's it almost could be it, there's a there's a gray area there. I don't. Do you have a feeling on how much you should caption the picture on TV and give actual play by play? Great question, Kyle. I I um I, th I th you know it's interesting in empty stadiums. I think as play by play guys, we overextended and did not let it breathe because it was just empty, right? So like the Patriots would score a touchdown and there'd be nothing, and so I think we felt compelled as play by play guys 
to continue to talk. Oh, what a run inside, and he gets it in, and Cam Newton has his second touchdown run of the game. Otherwise, you'd say, Newton is in for the second time today, and lay out and let the crowd serve as this great symphony and, and, and let them bring it up to a nice crescendo. Empty stadiums, we couldn't do that. I think that'll go back to normal this year. We'll let the crowd play more of a role. And I love Joe, and I know what he's saying. And I think, I think you just kind of have to rely on what your gut, your heart, your mind, your eyes, all your senses tell you. Does it like uh, on the road, if there is a big score by the Steelers in Kansas City, and Arrowhead is deathly quiet with 80,000 people, and they've come up with a gigantic play, I think you probably could talk a little bit more through that play. And can you conjure up the kind of emotion you do, you know, not fighting a crowd, as when you fight a crowd? If, if uh, Tyreek Hill goes in for a touchdown, you know, your voice tries to climb above the crowd and let the crowd take it. I don't think you can be any less enthusiastic for a Steeler touchdown um, uh, you know, when Roethlisberger hits his, hits his tight end in the end zone, even though they're on the road and the place is deathly quiet. So you're, you're constantly weighing those things and trying to figure out how they fit. It's not a perfect science, as you, you, know, you just talked about objective and subjective. It, it, it's, you've just got to kind of get a feel for what's going on. And I, I think that if a picture is worth a thousand words, sometimes you don't need to say anything. It speaks for itself. But what's crucial is how you've set it up. And if you can find the right words right before anticipatory to a degree, uh, big play here for Cam Newton. Can they get it in to take the lead with 30 seconds left? Oh, oh and he's in. And you don't have to say anything because you've set it up. Not that you have to now say once he's in, oh, and that now ties the game with the extra. You know, like, like, like that's sometimes where we get in trouble. So you got to anticipate a little bit. And it, it, it's a give and take, and it's tough. Sometimes your analyst talks too, too, too long and, and crowds you, and you don't have the room to set it up the way you need to with the sentence or two. Um, sometimes there's a quick snap. You don't have time to set it up. So it just it, it's so different play to play. You do the best you can. You just hope that you've, you've captured the moment. More times than not, it's probably best to lay out, let the pictures speak. Uh, you know, if you had to have just one one motto to use that that may be it um but if you are lucky enough to set up a play and the guy goes in and and you set up perfectly with a pre-snap oh and you punctuate it with the call going in there are a few feelings as good as that for a broadcaster i think Kevin, let's talk about preparation for a moment, uh, and specifically with football spotting boards. I know you're at your summer home, so you may not have any handy, but what's important for you to have on those? Are they the same for a CBS game and a Westwood One game for radio? And then how often do you go back to that throughout the ballgame? Roger, did you not ask me when you said, let's get together and talk? Could you please have some boards ready? Well, by God, here it is right here. There we go. <laughs> My Prepared. CBS book from last year. And, and, I, and I, I did have it in a, in a briefcase, but I brought up with when we came up this summer. And I have it because I'm getting ready, you know, for the new seasons. So I went back and, and took a couple pages out. But I'll show you, for instance, my spotting board. This is for radio. And I'll try to give you as quick. This is uh, for the uh, Super Bowl, the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. And tell me if you can see a little bit what that looks like. Um, there, aren't, there aren't times on radio to tell a lot of stories. And then I've got the, so then I would have the Buccaneer offense 
and the Chiefs defense right here. So I, I'm a numerical guy, and this is what Pat Summerall used. When I was at Fox, as a young broadcaster, I was trying to figure out what I want, what, how I wanted to do my spotting boards. And uh, Pat said, well, let me just give you some of mine during the season. I said, oh, my God, Pat Summerall. And, the, and, the, and these were his boards. He, he was a numerical guy. And, and I said, and this is for radio, and I'll show you TV, but I, I do it that way because we have so many sub packages. And now this year in the NFL, we're going to have guys wearing single digits playing on the defensive line or at linebacker. We have, we have safeties playing in the box. We have defensive ends dropping back in coverage and playing in the middle of the field like they're all over the place. And, and I, I have always thought, and just because probably I'm limited mentally, that if I had it with four defensive linemen, three linebackers, and my defensive backs, if I'm doing it geographically, that's not how the game is played now. The game is, is, is far too complex with groupings coming in every down. It changes. And guys with different numbers playing different positions. And, and everyone's out of position. So I do, I do my radio numerically. And I don't use a spotter. I, I have always uh, prided. I, I, um, I, I don't know many that don't. Maybe it's a mistake. I've, I've always thought I need to know the players better than anybody else, as well as their coaches. I, do I want to rely on someone on our crew or someone I've got to take at that stadium to help me spot? No, my and if I have and if I if I don't have the number for sure, uh, I may see the team's name. Oh, and the Chiefs have got the you know whatever. Or I may I may pause and talk about a defensive tackle, then the receiver to buy myself an extra second or two until I'm able to spot who it is. But I want to know these guys inside and out. So this is my this is my Chiefs offense Buccaneer uh, defense board for radio, and then for TV, it's a little more elaborate. Let me see if I can find one here. I can give you guys um, with a legitimate team. Let's see. Oh, here's one. Okay, this was with uh, this was the uh, Cleveland Browns. I did the Browns and Steelers late in the season. So this is my TV board, and numerically again, can you see? Am I am I holding at the right angle? Can you see it? I can see it. It's just a little closer to the camera would be great. But this has been good. Okay, can you there see that go. better? Yes. All right. So, so that's the offense for the, for the Cleveland Browns. And, um, and here I give a little bit more room for stories with the name, the number, the school. And then over here, I've got a thin column of headlines about the offense, in this case, the Browns offense. And then I have things that I'll do for my analyst, uh, areas I want uh, him to get into. Um, uh, whether it's Kurt Warner or Trent Green or Rich Cannon or whoever I'm with, Ron Jaworski, um, I'll, I'll, I'll have things uh, that I know are important to them that I've heard them talk about in the week, and I'll highlight that or put in a different color pen. But that's so that's the difference. And so on this side, I would have it would open up like this. It would open up with with one team's offense and this team's defense, and then for radio, I would do offense defense. Offense, defense. This one was from the championship game, Buccaneers and the Packers for radio. So I, I kind of put it together like that. And um, um, like, again, numerically to me just makes more sense as opposed to doing it geographically and where the guy may be. Because a lot of times the way we're watching the creativity of these coaches, it, it's not like that. They're not at the place where you think they should be. 
if there's a tackle at the line, you immediately start looking at your defensive line, but the tackle is made by 24. And you say, wait, 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 okay, we're, well, you know, now you're, now you're searching. Numerically, it makes it to me very easy, very quick. And then as well, when you're getting ready for a CBS uh, Sunday football game, when you're able to talk to the coaches, able to talk to a few players getting ready, how, what are you asking in those meetings when you're able to meet with those coaches, and how much do you go back to that throughout the broadcast? Well, um, our bosses would like us to say constantly, uh, hey, we talked to Ben Roethlisberger last night, and Ben Roethlisberger, because we're supposed to get like this inside information, right? Um, that happens about one meeting out of 10 these these players have been conditioned by their teams not to reveal anything about anybody now if we've got a relationship with the head coach you may say yeah our right guard is really struggling and i could easily hook him after a series or ah this receiver has had a bad week of pre you know sometimes they'll tell us that stuff on the side sometimes they'll tell us stuff that they don't want to attribute it to but that we can use and say that we thought, or we've noticed, or I see somebody's, you know, make it look like it's our thought, and we're just a little bit more, but the variety of stuff that we get is, quite frankly, is, it, so it's, it's really, here, here's the thing, like, going into the game, most people know the stories. Rarely do we come up with an earth-shattering or even earth-trembling type of bit of information. We may get some, like, you know, a guy uh, uh, saw his newborn daughter for the first time last night and he's going to play today. Or, you know, just some like little th tidbit like that, which are great. We love those stories. They don't happen that often. A lot of times the guys don't share them either. So um, what, we're, what really are, I find, the more I'm in it, is, is just be a good reporter and report the game that everybody's going to be talking about for the next six days. Do a good job in chronicling what's going right now. Who's in the game? What have they done? How have they battled an injury that we all know about because of the injury report? What give me some context about what's happened a couple of weeks before and why this performance is so much better than what we've seen. Like that's the kind of stuff we need to have. And I really concentrate on. And, and I really kind of listen to the questions my analysts will ask because I want to know what he's thinking more than what I like. I may have a question or two. But more times than not, I'll have my guy uh, ask, ask the questions, and then I'll jot down um, with Trent or with Rich or whoever I'm with that, that Sunday or Monday night, um, has a real interest in the receiving core and how they've really not gotten the job done. Then I can ask him that on the air. You know, I, said, I said, Kurt, you're, you've watched a lot of tape this week, These, uh, and you're, you're kind of surprised at the lack of production from the receiving core. You know, because I know, we, I know that's important because I've heard him ask the coach and the other guys about that, that problem. So it's, it's better when you can set him up like that and you know that he's got a, you know, a really good answer. And so, but those meetings are okay. You know, we've done them, uh, Roger and Kyle, on Zoom over the last year. I love Zoom. Let's do them all from Zoom. That way, we, you know, we can save time getting in a car and driving 45 minutes and waiting a half hour until they get in as opposed to being in our hotel room, maybe starting our production meeting and then doing them then. Um, uh, or, or, doing, or doing like, hey, Roethlisberger's only got, I keep using, uh, Patrick Mahomes only has 10 minutes for you guys, then he's going to see some family. But we don't want that. We, you know, we want to get into it. And he's a good guy. I know he'd want to talk to us, but if you got to see family, I get it. So can we talk to him Thursday on Zoom 
I'd rather take that any day of the week than an abbreviated 10-minute thing uh, on a Saturday night before Friday afternoon after practice. Give me something with like a half hour where I can really get a sense of what the guy's like and what he's thinking. Not a lot changes between a Wednesday or Thursday Zoom and a Saturday night conversation. So I'm, I'm, my fingers are crossed we stay with Zoom. I know it's not face-to-face. I know newspaper people, reporters out there for the different networks, they got to do face-to-face. I get it. I personally find I can get just as much from Zoom uh, as I do face-to-face. And Zoom is one of those things that will survive this pandemic for I, sure. I, it's I think you're right. Convenience. Kyle, I think you're right. And I wanted to transition to calling a Super Bowl because it's an event. It's on every broadcaster's bucket list. But I feel like if I were to call that game, I would be so drowned in the amount of information and storylines. Like, and for you, you're calling the game on radio, so you got to focus about describing the game. But if you think about Buck and and Michaels and Nance, there's so much stuff you have to go into. Does anything change at all for you in those two weeks when you prepare for a Super Bowl and the anticipation of that anthem? Did the the heart still beat pretty fast for a game like that, I, I would suppose? It does, Kyle. I, that, that, I actually get a little uh, misty-eyed when, I, uh, when they play the anthem and the, uh, the, the military formation flies overhead. Um, and you think about how many great broadcasters have been in that seat for radio uh, and for television. And um, I've done 11 straight. No one's done 11 straight. And by the grace of God, I've just, I've just been lucky enough to – to keep that. And so that I, I'm never lost on that. And I think about, uh, you know, the, the greats that have broadcast that Jack Buck did eight in a row was off a couple years, then did nine in a row. Um, so he's done 17. Um, I've done 11 straight and, and I would love to get that far, but I, I don't expect anything from the business. I don't, I don't, it, it owes me nothing. I think every time that I'm there, it's a privilege and an honor. And I guess I, I try to keep it simpler then try to get drowned out, as you say, in the, in the information. And you're right. It's an avalanche of stories and you've got them and you know them and you've been studying them for two weeks and, and you've got them written, but basically they're in your head. And so I, I really don't sit and think much about, you know, I, here's what I think about. Keep it simple and make sure that you're following all the criteria in your mind that you know are important to radio, down in distance, where's the ball, any subs, where's the quarterback on the snap, paint the picture, think of the person driving down I-95, down I-70, think about these people that are by themselves on a darkened highway, or don't, or working overnight at a toll booth or something, you know, those are the people, or I've had emails from soldiers in Afghanistan that have been in the mountains overnight listening on Voice of America or on the BBC or on some shortwave that they've piped in so they can, you know, listen to the Super Bowl. And, and that's, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about, do I have a clever line? Do I have a, um, uh, any of that stuff? You think about just call the game, call the game and make sure you're on your game. And that's what I think about. I, I don't think about, I've got five stories loaded up about this guy and two about that guy. I know him, but I don't think about that. And the first Super Bowl I did on radio was the Packers and Steelers in, in Texas. And the Packers was my dad's team. That, that's the team he worked for and, and ran as a CEO and the president for many, many years. And, and so that's pretty emotional to, to do your you know, team you grew up with, were a ball boy for, worked in the press box for, uh, where your dad, you know, was, was the, was the, president and CEO of for, for many years 
And, and then that's the first Super Bowl you do on radio. And, and somebody, and it may have been, I'm trying, I can't, may have been Marv who said, you know, you cannot treat the game like it's like, like, like it's the Super Bowl. You got to treat basically like any other game. And so I kind of channel that I'm doing a game in September in, in Cleveland with the Steelers and the Browns. And, and I find that that helps keep the nerves down. But if you're talking to anybody that's broadcast that game and you've got that flyover and you have uh, the emotion of, of um, you know, the, the pregame activities and you see players and tears running down their cheeks as they sing that, that, uh, that anthem. Um, and then you think about, you know, how lucky you've been to call, call that game. It, 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 you're, you're not lost on the moment at all, at all. And final one for me, Kevin, thanks so much for your time. You've been so gracious with your time today. And just uh, in terms of for young broadcasters, sorry, my phone's going off. We got a flood warning going on here in New Jersey. Perfect timing for the podcast. (laughs) But uh, in terms of young broadcasters, I'm sure you get a lot of tapes, uh, Kevin. And what are some of the mistakes that you see that are pretty consistent for young broadcasters that are trying to develop the craft? What are some things that you see maybe are a consistent trend for broadcasters now that maybe they need to get better at? Well, I, I think, I think voice and delivery, uh, in the old days, it was all about radio and there was no TV and no internet, uh, cameras. And so, um, uh, people said, well, you got to have a voice to be on radio. And so that's why the voices of, of Facenda and Summerall who began in radio and Ray Scott and Buck and, and, uh, and Ernie Harwell, like and all these guys have these great voices in, in delivery. Um, and then TV got into play and it was all about how do you look, um, you know, and, and not about delivery and voice. And so I can tell, and I get about, in fact, just, I mean, I got three this morning, kids from school somehow get my email address, which is fine. I mean, I think they all pass it around and I've, I've welcomed it. I was in their shoes and, and, and we're all trying to help those that will follow us. So I have no trouble, but I'm always amazed at how I, hi, I'm so-and-so and I got your email from, and, 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 you know, could you look, could you now it's not, can you listen to my tape? It's, could you watch my link? And I can tell in 20 seconds, the first 20 seconds, if we've got somebody who can take it to the next level, or if we've got someone that needs to, to need work on their delivery and their voice and their pacing. So for the, for the students, men and women that need voice work and delivery work, and that's the vast majority, uh, I would say here's a very simple exercise and one that I've uh, used for others over the years. And when I was a young broadcaster, graded myself when I was a teenager. Pick a voice that you like. And I always suggest, I mentioned this name before, Dan Schulman. Listen to Schulman do 20 seconds of radio play-by-play of the World Series, and then listen to you do 20 seconds of whatever you're doing. And then listen to him again, or listen to ESPN, ESPN College Basketball. And then listen to you, and then listen to him, listen to you, and go back and forth and back and forth and take notes. What do you notice? You notice a different speed. You notice a different enunciation of words. Do you notice um, just a resonance in his voice and knowing and remembering that a lot of it is God-given, but you can work on your voice. Singers work on their voice. Opera singers, actors, people that they, they work on breathing the right way, projection, 
you know, lowering your voice. There are ways to do all these different things. And remember that your voice is a muscle. And it's, it's, it's every time you talk, these vocal cords hit together and they get stronger the more you use them and how you use them. And do you have enough um, gas in the tank, enough air in your lungs to project and get those words out? And, and, uh, and, and, and I tell them, I say, go ahead and try to mimic them. Go and try, try to sound like Megyn Kelly's voice if you're, a, if you're a woman, because I think she has the best. Uh, and, and I just saw a gal this morning, and I cannot remember her name. She's covering the, the, the Tokyo Olympics for CBS Morning and blonde hair. And I commented to my wife, wow, what a voice, what a delivery. And, and I can't think of her name, um, but, but she's over there in Tokyo. I think the only person for CBS News right now in Tokyo covering the games and she came on and just, just, just nailed it. And, and it's all about now, if you got the looks and all that, I mean, I, I get all that, but it's all about delivery. So I say, listen, listen to these voices and then try to find what, what the muscle in your, in your throat and breathing, what, 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 what's it feel like when you try to sound like Dan Schulman or try to sound like Jim Nance, um, uh, try to sound like Facenda. Uh, You've got to, you, you need a roadmap. I'm not saying mimic. I'm saying find out what it looks like. You know, when, when, when Aaron Rodgers was looking to throw, he studied, you know, other quarterbacks before him. Um, everyone is copied. So why not broadcasters copy what it, and, and feel what it sounds like in your voice to sound like somebody and what it feels like to breathe from down here and produce from down low. What is that like? And then you'll take the offering. And then it's all about practice and, and surveying what, what, where you stand, how you're doing it. And there's nothing wrong. We sound people trying to sound like Adele when they sing, but eventually they come back to what, you know, they sound like. Taylor Swift, I'm sure, had people that she tried to mimic when she was growing up. But as broadcasters, I think you listen to Breen and Ian and all these other guys in New York. They in spirit, they all sound like like uh, like Marv, and they had to break off. Al Michaels said he grew up in Brooklyn. Listen to, to Vin Scully; he sounds like Scully to this day, but he sounds like Marv Al, like like Al Michaels, because Al Michaels has has put his own spin on it and become the great broadcaster. That you, you can't help but but grow up with the voices that you've heard. So find out what that voice feels like in your throat in your vocal cords, in your chest, in your diaphragm. And, and there, there's no shame in that. There's nothing wrong with that. It, it helps you. When I was a young kid, I tried to sound like Scott. And I was 11 years old. My voice was cracking. But that's what I tried to sound like. And, and that helped me form what I became. Now, listen, I don't like my voice to this day. I do not like how it sounds. It's not the voice that I want to hear in my head. And when I go back and go, do I really sound like, like even after all these years, I still go back. Uh, I said, come on, dude, you know, slow up, get more even keel, you know, like all these little things that I still use, always learning. It's an imperfect subjective business. And if you're not evolving, you're, 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 you're if you're not getting as Madden said, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And that's very true in broadcasting. So a simple exercise, um, you know, compare, contrast, take notes, stay at it, practice in a bathroom. Uh, when, I when I take a shower before I go to a game, I love the echo feel in a bathroom. And I have a couple of lines that I'll recite 
real quickly that I've, that I've used before and I like the way I sound. And, and I'll, I'll say that over until I get that right pitch. And then I leave that bathroom and leave that hotel room and get in that car and go into that stadium. And now I've got a sound in my head. And one of the worst things is if you don't do some of those little practice things on your own in a bathroom where there's a lot of echo and a lot of, you know, reverb, I, I think, I think you, you, you are going in, you haven't really warmed up. And that's why opera singers had that little tone thing that they blow into to get a different tone. And that's why they go through the scales. Now, these people aren't where they are. They just don't fall out of bed and they sound like there's some, but most don't. And they've got to warm up your voice and you've got to hit that tone for the people that have been in the business for 40 years and for people that have been in the business for four months. You've got to have a pattern and a routine with an attention to detail of how to sound the way you want to sound. Do you mind sharing those lines or give us the routine, what you are saying? No, like, like a typical one. I'm trying to think of one that, that I, and I, I, not two months removed from my last broadcast. Um, um, oh, I know. I, I, here, here was one, and I did this in the playoffs with Turner, but it stems from doing games in a studio with Bill Raftery in New Jersey uh, for college basketball, and it was before um, the Ohio State-Michigan game. And if you recall, two top, ten two top five teams when they met in this big game, huge game, but we were not there. And it was in uh, Columbus. Anyway, uh, we had to, if you watch a CBS college regular season broadcast, we do, um, uh, the, the, they call them billboards. Uh, for people who don't know, those are the things that, that you hear coming out of a, out of a commercial break and they go, uh, you know, today's broadcast is brought to you by whatever and whatever. Well, we, re we pre-record those about two hours before the game. And um, I remember going in because I knew it was such a big game. And I'm working with Raph, who I love. And we did about four or five games this past year together, but in studio, which is weird. Uh, um, and, and so I remember listening back. Go, yeah, I, I, I kind of like the way that's. I, I kind of hit the right tone for that. And so it, it was um, CBS Sports presentation of college basketball is brought to you by Buick, the official automotive partner of the NCAA. And, 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 and then, and then, and I would say it over and over again, kind of like the Manning to Harrison uh, in the corner, you know, passes to find my voice because uh, I can't remember if I was battling a cold or my voice was tired or what, but I just felt like I had, I wanted to make sure that I got to that as I left the room. I wanted to make, and the bathroom is such a great place to, I know people think I'm crazy. My wife does believe me, but, but I, with people, um, but, but the reverb in a bathroom has a, unless you broadcast, you don't know, but it, I'm not wearing headphones clearly. So it kind of feels like I'm in a room where you can get that echo chambery reverb type of feel, which it slows you up, uh, which I need. And, um, and it just kind of gets you into that, into that tone. And then the other thing I think about with voice and delivery is, is you need to visualize it. I don't know how you can go into a game without visualizing, which sounds weird because you're talking. You know, I, I know we know about athletes that visualize how they're going to throw a pass or how a golfer is going to swing on the tee box. And they visualize going back and keeping your arms straight and body through and shifting weight and all this other stuff. Um, well, a broadcaster can do the same thing with his voice or her voice and to visualize what you want it to sound like. And, and I, I go through that period too. I think about, and that helps me visualize the kind of voice in delivery. And I have personally found 
that when your voice, when you've got confidence in your voice, your broadcast is, is for me personally, better, fuller, uh, more solid in every way, uh, analyst interaction, notes, pay, all of it, than if you're struggling to get your steps, get your, get your rhythm, get your speed. And so I, I use some of those things to do that before I've even left the room to kind of get, get sure my mind is geared in that direction because it's all about voice. It's all about delivery because then everything else just kind of rolls right. I have found that at least. All right. We'll get you out of here on this. And Kevin, again, thank you for all the time you've given us uh, this evening. When you, We've heard you talk before in this uh, show about going back and listening to your work. What's the criteria when you try to grade yourself? And then are there people in the business, whether they're fellow announcers, executives, producers you've worked with, that you still rely on to this day to listen to your work and give you feedback? Um, I used to rely on others when I was younger, back in my 20s and 30s. And then I found that I may have hit a level where the feedback I was getting was not what I was looking for in terms of not the, oh, you sound great, or oh, well, you really spoke, not that. I needed specifics. I needed, so that's where it really hit home about, let's do my own self-analysis and compare me to other people that I respect in the business and what they were doing. That served as a pretty good marker for me. Um, I don't do that as much now. And I really kind of compare it against me. I have broadcast from five and 10 years ago from four months ago that I liked or a snippet that I liked, a quarter that I liked, and I'll keep that handy and I'll go back. Aaron Rodgers said something the other day. He said, a couple years ago, I was, I was struggling with my passing and I couldn't figure out why. So I went back to the year I won the MVP, which was 10 years ago. And I looked at, I said, well, the difference was in my footwork. And so sometimes you can't grade yourself off of others as a younger broadcaster can do, younger player can do. You, you kind of have to go, you get to maybe a certain level where you begin to compare it to yourself and maybe when things were going well. So I don't, I don't rely on others. Um, I'm, my, my girls, we have three daughters and a son. I, I, I'm not a social media person, um, but my girls are into that world and they will let me know if something is coming up that I need to be aware of. I say, I don't want to hear the good stuff. If you come across something you think is constructive, that's great. If it's just some guy in his basement spewing, that's, I don't care about that. But if a guy comes out and says uh, something that, that you think I can use, then I want to hear it. I don't look at it. Vern Lundquist steered me off this years and years ago. He says, I, I thought I was doing a great job. Then I took one look at this thing called Twitter and I was just almost in tears reading what they were saying about me. And, 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 and that is, and I heard that 15, 20 years ago from him or when Twitter first came out, whenever that was 15 years ago. So I, I have, I have stayed off it and I am much better mentally for it, but I, but I've got different criteria um, that I use um, some that's nuance oriented um, um, uh, so, some is just the hardcore things that all play-by-play -play guys have got to do the right identification. Um, have I, have I made enough of the substitution? Have I mentioned where the, this is a radio, have I mentioned where the quarterback is enough? Um, have I been a good enough reporter that every couple minutes I'm, I'm do I have a one sentence line 
refreshing the storyline for people that have just tuned in. And, you know, people, when even, even if they're listening for two hours, they're in and out. They're not focused on me. They're watching the sign when they get off. They want to look for the, the next McDonald's break or they got to go to the bathroom or they, they got bad weather they're dealing with. And so, so I may say it three times. They said, give the score when I've done it, but they just haven't been focused in. So, so, so it's, it's those kinds of things. And then it seems like every year I'll add a column to my checklist and I do it virtually every play and I've got my columns and I'll, and I'll, and I, I'll add something that I feel that I need to add. It's, it's evolving as I talked about earlier. So it's nothing that would be any like big uh, revelation on, on this show. It, it's just, it's just stuff that I've kind of uh, thought of and heard maybe from some other guy go, well, that's a great idea. Or that's, that was really interesting how he, how he did that. Doesn't happen as much now. Uh, but, but when I do hear it, I, I have such respect for my business and how hard people work that everyone's got great ideas. And, and like I, I began by telling him, reading this book about Belichick, and he says, I, I talk to college coaches, other coaches in the league all the time. I'm, I'm a sponge for information. And, and, and that's kind of how I think broadcasters have got to be. Not necessarily information for a team or how they're playing, but about, about the art of broadcasting, how you can be better, how you can prepare uh, in, a, in a better, more fulfilling way. Um, it's it just a constant change but constant evolvement into being the best you can possibly be. And you may fall short, but at least you've tried and you can look at, you can look at yourself in the mirror after a game and said, you know what? I prepared, I, I studied, I, I did it. And it just, it may not have been my day. Um, there are other times where you have done all those things and it was your day. So it's, it's just all, I think actors and singers and performers probably all feel that way uh, from, from one time to the next. Lots of this show is really all about. So, Kevin, just thank you so much for the insights you've given us over this past hour and a way to look at our next broadcast. We just cannot thank you enough for all the time you've given us today. You're so kind to uh, to have me on. Thank you. We've done a lot of these, haven't we, over the last uh, 18 <laughs> months, 16 months with the pandemic, and, and, and now it's become kind of a staple. So podcasts and things like this um, uh, and where they're seen and heard uh, are, are, I think, a way for all of us uh, older, you had Brad Nesselon, you mentioned before, and I, not, not another broadcaster I have more respect for than Brad. Um, I think it's a way we can, we can touch base with younger broadcasters like yourself or people that are watching, but it's, it's our privilege. Believe me, it's our privilege to be on. And we always thank you for the invitation. And I thank you for getting a chance to visit today. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Roger. All right. Thanks, Kevin Harlan. Thanks to all of you for watching Broadcaster Hour.